had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness in all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. Paul had gone to the temple with the four men who were under a vow to pay their expenses, and he also would have to purify himself in order to be able to enter into the inner court. Now, this was an action that Paul took at the advice of the elders of the church in Jerusalem. It certainly was an effort to steal some of the rumors about Paul that he was against Israel. Paul was recognized in the temple by some unbelieving Jews from the province of Asia. And they seized Paul and accused him of being against Israel, the law, and the temple, and of defiling the temple by bringing a Gentile into the temple courts. And they beat Paul, and they were trying to kill him. The Roman captain, Claudius Lysias, intervenes and took Paul into custody. His questions to the crowd were just unhelpful, And Paul wants to speak to the crowd before he's taken into the fortress, and the chief captain allows it. Paul gives here, then, the first of six defense speeches recorded in this last section of the book of Acts. And I think uh, maybe earlier I had referred to it as uh, that there were four uh, defense speeches. There are, in fact, six. I just misspoke. He is in Jerusalem. He is speaking to a large crowd of Jews at the temple compound. And the speech's features are obviously designed for the Jewish audience. Paul is defending himself against the charge of being against Israel. And Paul begins in this defense with his own background. Uh, he, He makes himself one of the crowd that he is addressing. And his recounting of his conversion and of his commission explains what he has been doing and why and also insinuates their need that is the Jews that are hearing him he insinuates their need 
to be like him in terms of believing in Jesus of Nazareth as Messiah. So we want to look at this speech in two particular parts, uh, beginning with verse 40 of chapter 21 and going to verse 5 of chapter 22. We see the context of Paul's upbringing. And in verses 6 to 11, we see his conversion to Jesus Christ. So let's begin in the first section with uh, verse number 40, which is the last verse of chapter 21. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying. Paul had requested permission to address the crowd. And here he is given that permission by the Roman tribune Lysias. He has been taken into custody and was being brought inside for questioning. As I understand it, this is uh, a highly unusual situation that permission like this is granted for um, someone who at this point is a prisoner uh, and it is uncertain of what crime that they are guilty of or what um, disturbance that they have caused. Uh, And it's very unusual that they would be given the liberty to speak and to address the crowd, this crowd that they were rescued from just moments earlier because they were pressing in on and and trying to to kill the prisoner. Now, the captain's motivation to this point is to get to the bottom of the disturbance. And perhaps he hopes that Paul's speaking will clear things up. You remember how that uh, when he went down into the crowd and he first apprehended Paul, that he questioned some that were standing there, but it was just all a a noise and a confusion and all speaking and shouting, and, and he really couldn't make anything of it. And so he's working on bringing Paul up the stairs. And you'll recall that they had to actually carry him up the stairs uh, because the the people were trying to get at him. And so he's bringing him up to the stairs into the fortress. And there he plans to uh, interrogate Paul and to get information from him. And, And mainly at this point, he wants to get at the bottom of what's going on. So he had he had just been rescued um, from this crowd and the, the beating that he was getting in the crowd and had been carried up the steps. He is bound at this point with two chains. Likely he is chained to a soldier, one on each side. And now he stands on the steps looking out on this crowd of Jews. No doubt that he's hurting from being beaten. And he motions them with his hands raised to silence. And Paul addressed them, Luke notes, in the Hebrew dialect. And most likely this means that he spoke to them in the Aramaic language. The Aramaic um, was the common language um, throughout Israel in that particular day. And so we come to verse number 1 in chapter 22. As Paul begins to speak to this crowd. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. Men and brethren is a common address to fellow countrymen. And Paul is establishing his identity with them from the start. Now, the mention of fathers is not quite as common. We've seen the address before um, to fellow Jews and being referred to as uh, brethren. But again, the mention of fathers is not 
quite as common, and it's probably due to the fact that the priests and uh, maybe perhaps some members of the Sanhedrin um, were present at this time. Now, the word for defense that Paul says, Hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. Apologia. It, it, it does have legal connotations. It's, it's, this isn't a legal proceeding. But his defense that he made of himself and of the message that he preaches. Notice in verse 2. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and he saith. Now his use of the Aramaic at least accomplished this much, that it gained the crowd's attention. So apparently there was still some, uh, some furor, there was still some uh, noise uh, amongst the crowd. And as he addresses them in Aramaic, and they begin to realize that he is speaking to them in their dialect, Luke notes that, that they increased their silence. They became the more quiet and intent to hear what he had to say. Verse number three. I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. So concerning Paul's ethnic origin, he states to the crowd that he is a Jew. The first of many connections, in fact, that he makes with this crowd. Generally, where a person is from tells you a little bit about them. At least it it informs your expectations. Tarsus was a well-known and respected city, and this was Paul's birthplace. He was brought up or educated and trained in Jerusalem. Now, it is not clear historically when Paul would have gone to Jerusalem, but most likely he would have been a young man when he went to Jerusalem, and perhaps even um, in his teens. Gamaliel that is mentioned here, as he was brought up under Gamaliel as his teacher, Gamaliel was a leading rabbi of the Hillel school. And he was, so Paul, in, in other words, he was taught by the best. He further describes himself as being zealous for God, zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. As, as are the Jews in the crowd who have been so stirred up by the thought of someone speaking against Israel and the law and the temple. Um, they're very zealous for those things. In other words, they were, were moved to action against Paul by the impulse within them to defend the law, to defend the temple, um, to defend the nation of Israel and the hope of the nation that they harbored within um, their own hearts. And Paul says, I was zealous toward God as all of you are this day. Verse number four. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. So Paul's zeal is further explained here as that he persecuted the disciples of Jesus Christ. This way that he mentions, the way, it speaks of the following of Jesus, the the disciples, this 
movement that began. In Antioch, we're told that they were called Christians. And Paul is referring to the way, those, those following this way of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, it did start within Israel. Though the leaders deemed it a blasphemous way, and ultimately they killed Jesus for that. But Paul here puts himself in line with the leaders uh, and the majority of Israel in opposing this way and this message. Paul's saying that he persecuted those of this way. That he would arrest men and women both, whoever that, that he found that were of this persuasion, that believed in, and, and professed faith in Jesus Christ, were followers of his and were disciple makers. He emphasizes that he would bind them with chains, as Paul himself stood there bound with chains. Paul was a witness testifying against them even to execution. He persecuted that way unto death. He would bind them, he would deliver them to prison, and as needed, he would give his witness against them when they were tried before the Sanhedrin council. Verse number 5. As also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. So Paul acted in his religious zeal and in his persecution of the followers of Jesus. He acted within legal authority to bring disciples to be tried before the council. He's referring here to the high priest and to the elders. So, in other words, Paul's testimony is verifiable to this crowd. And no doubt it was known by some who were present at this time. Paul refers to the orders that he had received to go as far as Damascus and to arrest the disciples that he found and to bring them back to Jerusalem. The punishment refers to their sentence from the council. And that, of course, could have ranged from flogging, um, being beaten with the the 39 stripes or the the 40 lashes save one. Uh, It could have ranged from that to execution if they indeed um, would find them guilty of blasphemy. Now we move to the second part that we're looking at in Paul's defense, beginning with verse number 6. This is where Paul begins to speak of his conversion to Jesus Christ. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus, about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. Paul now moves to this account of his conversion. He was born a Jew, an Orthodox Jew. He was raised and and trained as a Pharisee by the best of the Pharisees, the, the Rabbi Gamaliel, he was very zealous for God, so zealous for God, in fact, that he went to the chief priests and he was granted authority that he sought in order to go as far as, as Damascus and to bind men and women in chains that confess the name of Jesus Christ and to bring them back to Jerusalem and to testify against them even to their deaths. He goes from that to being the one chained. He goes from that to being the one who's a follower of the way. 
And so now he's moving to this account of his conversion. He highlights the fact that he was on the way to Damascus. We know he's already stated why that he was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians, to bring them back to Jerusalem uh, again, very possibly to their deaths. Now this account, this account of uh, Saul's conversion is given in chapter number 9. And there it is, is told um, from the third person view as, as much uh, as often the, the, the narrative portions of the historical accounts are given. But here, it, here the account is told by Paul from his perspective. And so there are some details added here and there between the accounts and it, uh, it really makes it more vivid and points to the fact that it was not a dream, it was not a vision that Paul saw. Paul and his company had come close to Damascus and he notes that it was about noon that a great light from heaven shone all around them. Now it certainly takes quite a bright light to shine around us visibly and and perceptively when we are standing in the noonday sun. But this was what Paul describes as a great light that shined all about them. In verse number 7, And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? So Paul continues this account relating how that he fell to the ground. And he heard the voice of Jesus, though at that point he didn't know that it was the voice of Jesus. The voice that is heard is recounted in each of the three tellings of this episode. We have Acts chapter 9 where it is told to us as it originally occurred, the historical account. We have Acts 22 where Paul is giving this account that we're looking at here this morning. And then we have uh, Acts chapter number 26 when he is before Agrippa and he is recounting this conversion yet once again. And in each of those accounts, the voice of Jesus is mentioned, the voice that was Heard And slight variations give us quite an emphasis. Jesus knew Saul and used his name. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? The persecution of his followers is persecution of Jesus. Notice that. Why are you persecuting me. Paul has just stated to this crowd how that he was zealous for God and was persecuting unto the death men and women who were followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Verse 8, and I answered, who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. So Saul asked naturally who was speaking to him. And Jesus answered Saul by identifying himself. I am Jesus of Nazareth. And notice again the emphasis. 
whom thou persecutest. In other words, Saul's persecuting of men and women was a persecuting of Jesus Christ. His rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the testimony and the witness that these men and women were giving was a rejection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Nazareth obviously gives clarification an unmistakable identity. As this is the one, the same man, the Jews killed less than 30 years before this time. Paul, then, is a witness, an eyewitness, to a risen and living Jesus after he was crucified and buried. Paul's account is consistent. In other words, as he's retelling this account to the Jews, you'll notice that the way that events unfolded is consistent with the appearances of God in the Old Testament. So this puts Paul in line with the Old Testament prophets. Not only does it put him in line with the Old Testament prophets who had seen appearances of God and none of the None of the Jews listening to Paul that day would have doubted that God had appeared unto the, to the, some of the prophets. And it also at least hints at the deity of Jesus Christ. Again, he, he's telling this event and it's, it's like something from the pages of the Old Testament uh, with Moses even. And, and yet it is Jesus Christ who has appeared to him in this great and glorious light. And spoken to him. Verse number 9. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid. But they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. Paul's companions saw the light and they heard a noise. Now the chapter 9 episode says that they heard something but didn't see anyone. So clarification here is that they heard a noise or they heard a sound, but they didn't understand it as speech. They didn't see a man. They didn't see the man that that, uh, Paul saw. They didn't see Jesus of Nazareth living and standing before him. They heard something. They heard a noise. They didn't understand it as speech. They didn't see a man. They didn't see Jesus. The only thing they saw was the light. Again, a discernible, distinguishable, glorious, great light. Distinguishable from the noonday sun. Verse number 10. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. So Paul is here acknowledging the risen Christ, and is asking, what shall I do? Previously, his life course was determined by zeal for the law. He was brought up in a good, orthodox, Torah-observant Jewish home. 
He was brought up and trained in Jerusalem by the famous and and reputable Rabbi Gamaliel. He had the best of, of Jewish education and training in the laws and customs of his people. And so his whole life course had been charted out in front of him and it was motivated by his zeal for the law. His zeal he thought that was for God. But now, Paul is is admitting, he's acknowledging, he's saying, what shall I do? What shall I do now? Now his life is being determined by his subjection to the risen Messiah, not his zeal for the law, not the orders of the chief priests. Lord, what shall I do? What would you have me to do? And Jesus responded to Paul by telling him to go to Damascus. And there he would be told what he is to do. Verse number 11. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. So Paul further emphasizes the brightness of the light as it left him blinded. He saw a great light, but when the great light was gone, he could not see to the point where he had to be taken by the hand and led into Damascus when he came into the house there where he was when Ananias came to him later. As we think about this part of Paul's defense and what he's doing here as he is addressing these Jews at the temple in Jerusalem. Now Paul is making a defense. This is his apologia he's making a defense but notice that by this time at this point in in his speech he has proclaimed Jesus of Nazareth as alive from the dead and appearing in the light of God's glorious presence in other words he has preached Christ to these people. Yes, he's making a defense. He's, he's giving an, an explanation of what he's doing. He's given an explanation in particular of the great change that came upon him. How could such an about face come about? One who Paul described himself as being blasphemous against God, who, who was injurious, who was persecuting the church in Jerusalem and was laying waste to it and was pursuing uh, even unto Damascus men and women to, to bind them, to deliver them to prison and, and to, to witness against them that they might be put to death. How can we have such an abrupt change, such a, a great change come in one that now he is a chained prisoner for the testimony of Jesus Christ? So yes, he's making his defense, but he is preaching Jesus Christ risen and in the glory of God. So Paul has highlighted This light of glory. He's given several references to it as we see as he's recounted this experience that he had. Several references to this light to emphasize that it was a a bright, a great, and a glorious light. And he has explained salvation as seeing the glory of God 
in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, if we think about what he wrote in his letter, uh, his Second Corinthians letter, in chapter number 4, he said in verse number 3, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So if you notice how that you can relate Paul's statement in 2 Corinthians to his experience on the road of Damascus. But you also notice a few differences. Paul said that God has shined that light of glory in our hearts. Paul knew very well that every believer was not going to have a light to shine from heaven that outdid the noonday sun. Every believer was not going to have Jesus of Nazareth risen from the dead, living and standing in all of that glorious light in front of them on the road. But every believer does have the light of God's glory Shine in their hearts. And the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is revealed to everyone who believes. Yes, he explains this is salvation. It is seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, essentially, as we think about Paul's message, he is saying to this Jewish crowd, I, Paul, have been where you are now. I was a persecutor. I was one clamoring for the blood of those that preached Jesus Christ, of those that dared to say that He was alive, that He was the Son of God, that He was the Messiah of promise of the Old Testament Scripture, He was enraged at that sort of a testimony. I was you, Paul is saying to this Jewish crowd. But then I met Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, and He changed me. I was you. And it's not due to education and training and rites and sacrifices and customs and feasts and laws. It was, it's not according to any of those things. He changed me. A life that had been defined by being a good Jew was now redefined as a life claimed for Jesus Christ. So what do we learn in Paul's defense that he makes before the people? And yes, he does speak somewhat to his own personal defense, but uh, being set free is not... Paul's 
uh, dominant desire or motivation. Making Jesus Christ known and giving testimony and witness to the risen Jesus Christ in Jerusalem to the Jews of Israel, that is his primary motivation. But again, when we think about his speech, even from the fact that he spoke in the Aramaic, several things that we see how his speech was just tailored to a Jewish audience. And that he, in several ways throughout his speech, he is connecting with them and identifying with them. Well, I do believe that we should learn to make connections with people in evangelism. Now, it may be that you're talking to some of your family or maybe some friends or neighbors, maybe perhaps that you've grown up with or whatever the case may be, and you have similar backgrounds, and you're able to make those connections. Yes, I, I, am, I am like you. I, I was, uh, I was you know, raised the same as you were and, and what have you. But maybe you're speaking with someone of a totally different background and a totally different experience. You say, well, I can't really, I can't really relate to that. How am I going to make any sort of a personal connection um, with someone who had this problem or maybe they were a drug addict or maybe this is talking to a, a woman that has been a prostitute or, or, or something else. How am, I, how am I going to make a connection when I've never had that experience in life? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that regardless of the sin, the specific sins, we are all alike sinners before God, there is a point of connection. I don't care if we're talking to someone from halfway around the world. We do have this in common, that we are sons and daughters of Adam. And we have inherited sinfulness, a sinful nature, and depravity. We have inherited standing in a place. We're born into a place where we stand condemned before God, except that we are saved by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone.